So I want to switch gears back to announcements just for a minute. Um, Brenda prayed that we're a family, and one of the things that a family gets to do together is have fun together. Uh, We had some fun, those of you that were there at the barn dance on Friday, this last week, and then in two weeks, two weeks from yesterday, we're going to have a dodgeball tournament. So... I'm preaching on love today, so I figured what better way to start off that than talk about dodgeball. So it's going to be church-wide. It'll be just a lot of fun, and the purpose of that is just simply fun to enjoy each other. And then also, uh, if you're interested, you're welcome to invite friends to participate on your team. So I don't have a lot of details for you. Sorry, that's my bad. But uh, we'll get those out soon, uh, and you can sign up and come have some fun. Gear switched. Back to love now. Dodgeball. (laughs) Love is complicated. Love is confusing. Love takes work. You know, if you listen to secular music much, you can be convinced that everyone wants love, but there is some confusion about what love is. Here's a song that you probably know. I'm not going to sing it for you. I, you can if you want, I guess. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. I want to feel what love is. I need you to show me. Yeah, you know this. And then Tina Turner sings this song. She's, you know, complicated by, love is complicated, so hard. What does she sing? What's love got to do, got to do with it, right? What's love but a... Secondhand emotion. Yep, you're paying attention. Thank you. (laughs) How about this one? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. (laughs) Don't hurt me no more. Is, Is this love, though? No pain equals love? We know we want love. We know love is good, but we can distort love. And how do we distort love? There's, there's a few ways. There's lots of ways, a few that I thought of. One is we can demand love. If you love me, you must give me what I want. We can withhold love. Since I'm not getting what I want, I will try to hurt you by not loving you. I'm using this love as a weapon. Um, then there's sort of payback love where... You say, I will love you so that then you will then love me. I'm going to give you what you want so that you'll give me what I want. And then there's kind of a confused love. If you love me, you must affirm my choices, even if you think my choice will bring me harm. I say this is confused love because we're confused about what is good. And you have to tell me I'm okay, even if I'm not okay. Love is complicated but love is complicated by sin the sin out there and the sin in here inside of me and we all want it we're like vacuums just looking for opportunities to suck up love God loves us you are loved I am loved first John three sixteen. this is how we know what love is Jesus Christ laid down his life for us we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Love is action for the good of another with no thought for your own gain. If you think of Jesus' example, this is a way that you could define love. And when you read that familiar passage, that famous passage, that densely packed passage in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter it's often called, 
I'm just going to read it to you. We won't unpack a lot of it. I just think, let you think about it a bit. Love is patient. It is kind. It does not envy. It doesn't boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It protects. It trusts. It hopes. It always perseveres. Love is beautiful. And we love, as 1 John 4, 9 says, because he first loved us. The vacuum of love in our lives has been filled by the love of Christ. We are loved. We are accepted. So now we have resources to love others. Last week, Terry talked about three tests from 1 John chapter 2. We're going to look at one of those tests today. And the reminder to you is just remember that these tests were there to help us know that we have eternal life. That's what Terry talked about. And that the tests are not there uh, as a pass-fail. They're there to provide proof of reality that already exists. You have eternal life if you have trusted Christ. Just like Pierce when he was talking this morning in this video, he has eternal life because he's trusted Christ. He marked it today. He doesn't need to pass a test. He doesn't need to pass a test. But the test prove, as he grows and matures, the test will prove to him that he can be certain about his faith. And Terry mentioned this last week. Eternal life is not just unending life, but it's a quality of life. And one of the qualities of eternal life is that we have a growing awareness that God loves us and he keeps us. So let's look at the social test from 1 John 2, 7 through 14. I'll just read the first few verses. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true life is already shining. So he starts here with the word beloved. It's a term of affection. You are my dear friends. And it's really important for us to take a minute and just notice how John starts because his tone communicates some of what he's going to say. He's not here to rebuke his friends and say, you need to love better, you're not doing a good job. He wants them to be certain about their standing with God, and he wants to deliver a word of encouragement. And he says this commandment is old and new and not new. It's, it's kind of, it's both and. So it's old. You have heard it from the beginning. Leviticus 19 and 8. Verse 18 says, Do not seek revenge or bear grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So John ties this command to something old because there are false teachers that have come into the church and they're saying you must have a new experience so that you can be sure that you have eternal life. And John says, no, there's nothing new here. God has always desired for us to love him and to love one another. But then John goes on to say, there is something sort of new about this command. So what is the newness that John maybe has in mind? Well, we can look back at his gospel, John 13, where he writes, this is what Jesus has said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this will all people know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. 
So three things to talk about here. This, this new command is new in example. It's new in extent. How far does it reach? And it's new in emphasis. The new example, Jesus says, is you should love as I have loved. He demonstrated his love for us when he went to the cross. God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He, so it was a selfless love. We were still sinners. There was nothing that we could give back to him. He didn't want anything in return. It's a sacrificial love. He laid down his life on the cross. And now it's new in extent. How far does God's love reach? For the Jewish people back in this time, they were really interested, at least the Jewish leaders, about drawing boundaries about who should love and who should not love. They asked Jesus one time, who, who is my neighbor? Jesus' basic response to them is, who is not your neighbor? Everyone is made in the image of God. Everyone is deserving of love. And then in Matthew 5, Jesus says, You've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. We can see that Jesus' love is like no other. He loves enemies. He loves those from different ethnic groups, all genders, all races, those who disagree with him. Jesus shows us that our love should be for all. And then it's new in emphasis. In Matthew 26, they come to Jesus again and say, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. See, loving God and loving people could have been put in two different categories. You have spiritual love, you know, the religious things maybe that you do, and then you have this practical love, the laws that you follow to take care of your neighbor. But Jesus brings these two categories together. They're like two sides of the same coin. Loving God is like loving people. The way you demonstrate your love for God is by loving his kids. 1 John 4.20, we'll get here in a few weeks. How can you say you love God who you don't see if you do not love your brother who you do see? So you can do all the spiritual activities I'm obviously all for us singing songs, right? Uh, raise your hands, do the devotionals, do all the spiritual things. But if you truly love God and his eternal life is in you, you will demonstrate love for one another. And this will be proof that you do have eternal life. This will help, um, help you understand that you can be certain. So it's new an example. Jesus is our example. It's new in extent. How far does this love reach? And it's new in emphasis. But I think there's one important piece that's, at least one important piece that's missing here, and it is that Christian love is unique in its motivation. Our acts of love are motivated by a desire to exalt Christ. Jesus says, by this will all men know that you are my disciples. I want people to know that you belong to me. Yes, we want to be recognized. We want to be loved back. But mostly, we want to please our king. 
I want to love my enemies, or at least I want to want to love my enemies so that Jesus would be exalted. I want to love sacrificially so that Jesus would be exalted. I want to grow in love so that Jesus would be exalted. I want to love like him, and I want to exalt him in my love. So when I read 1 Corinthians 13.5, and it says, Love keeps no record of wrongs. I have been wronged. I want to nurse this hurt and hold on to this grudge, but I must seek reconciliation because that will bring honor to my king. Yes, I might be justified, and maybe you mistreated me, maybe you're not loving me, but I want to exalt Jesus in the way that I love you. When I read 1 Corinthians 13, 6, where it says, Love does not rejoice in evil, but delights in the truth. I might know if I stand on the side of the truth of Scripture, this person may not love me. They may not like me. This might be costly for me. How do I decide what should I do? What does love look like? Well, my love is motivated by pleasing my king. So I speak the truth in love. I'm not mean about it, but I can speak the truth in love because this pleases my king. It's not motivated by my need to prove myself as much as possible, at least, but my, by concern for others and my love for Jesus and desire to exalt him. Now, you might say, um, I'm, you get to the place where you're tired of demonstrating love. You know what? I've done this for you over and over again. I don't want to keep going. Some people, this might come as a shock to you, they're just hard to love. But then I read 1 Corinthians 13, 7. You're not any of those people, by the way. I don't, I don't know every one of you, but uh, I don't want you to put yourself in that. Sorry, I got off the track here a little bit. Dodgeball. Here we go. We're back. But you would say, I'm, I'm just tired of giving myself away over and over again. Some people are hard to love. But then I read 1 Corinthians 13, 7 that says, Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. So I ask for help to persevere. Not because I want to show how great I am, but because I want to exalt Christ. Jesus, help me to love this person. Help me to stay the course. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. I want to exalt him with my loving actions. One of the qualities of eternal life is that we're growing in this awareness that we're living our lives before the loving eyes of our king. We grow and we want to please him in how we treat his children. Our acts of love are motivated by a desire to exalt Christ. So going back to John's words here, we'll look at verse 8. It says, It's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is shining. I, I want to love, but it's hard. I'm growing. Sometimes I'm selfish. Sometimes I'm not. How does this work? But here's what John wants us to know. He wants to encourage his readers. He says, I see this in you. It's true in him and in you. You are loving like Jesus, not perfectly, but more like Jesus. 
Yes, you're a mixed bag of motives, but God is purifying your motives. Proverbs 4.18 says, The path of righteousness is like the light of dawn, shining brighter and brighter until the midday. The light is shining, and the more you apply the love of Jesus to your relationships, the more you walk this path seeking to honor your king, the brighter and brighter the light will shine, the more you will have certainty. So then John goes on to illustrate this uh, command by talking some more about light and darkness and love and hatred. In verse 9 he says, Whoever says... He is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and doesn't know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. There's two realities I think at play in this section here. One is for all believers, the true light is shining, but there is still some darkness that lingers in us. So what do we do with this reality? One, we say, God, help me. Help me to let the light shine more and more. And then we do what we've been talking about the last few Sundays. When we realize that we've messed up, we fess up and we move on. We don't want to despair. See, some darkness in you doesn't mean that you've never trusted Christ. It means that Christ's work has not, is not finished He's not done changing you. But do you want to change? Do you want to love more like Jesus? Do you want to want to? If so, I think this is an indicator that Christ is actually in you. Join him in what he is doing. And the second reality, there are those who belong to God and there are those who do not belong to God. Think about that last phrase, the darkness has blinded his eyes. Think of a blind person in a dark room. They are unaware of the darkness. They're ignorant of the fact that they're in darkness, and the darkness itself is the cause of their blindness. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, The God of this age, speaking of Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This is a sad reality. So what do we do? Well, one, we pray, God, this is only something you can do. Open the eyes of unbelievers. We share gospel truth as we have opportunity. And we want to grow in our love for one another. This is a way that God can use to break into the darkness. Jesus says, by this will all men know that you're mine if you have love one for another. So as we grow in this, the light shines more. God uses this in our life to reveal himself to others. God help us to love one another deeply so that people might see the quality of life, the eternal life that you have brought into our lives. So now maybe John senses that his readers are getting a little overwhelmed uh, with these two tests and he's got one more test to go. So he pauses for a minute, steps back from the tests and wants to offer another word of encouragement. Starting in verse 12, let me read there. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. 
I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you children because you know the Father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you're strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So what is John doing here? Is it just, okay, uh, mothers, you don't need to listen right now. We're just going to talk to fathers and young men and children. Single uh, gals, you don't need to listen right now. Sorry, we're not talking to you. No, that's not what John is doing here. This is a poetic section. If you look in your Bible, it's probably indented to show that this is like a poem that John was writing. Um, And so in poetry, there's lots of metaphors. And he also repeats this section just for emphasis. You know, sometimes when you're encouraging someone, you say, you can do this. Come on, you can do this. I know you can. So that's what John is doing here. He repeats himself, but he changes it when he repeats himself. So what he's saying is, think of yourself like little children. You're all like little children. We're all like kids. Uh, We all love dodgeball. We're all like kids more than maybe we want to admit. Think of yourself like a father. Think of yourself like a young man. So what is a child like? A child is helpless. But now your sins are forgiven for his namesake. And then he repeats it again. But the next time he doesn't say little children. He says think of yourselves like children to emphasize that you're growing. You're growing. And then he says think of yourself like a father. Well, what does it mean to be like a father? Well, fathers have a family. Sometimes they have a house. They have a career. They have influence. They've achieved things in life. But your crowning achievement is that you know God. And then he repeats the father metaphor, but he doesn't change anything with this one. Yes, you've done a lot, but still remember, your crowning achievement is that you know God. You have known him from the beginning. And you're like young men. What are young men like? They're ambitious. They're active. They're energetic. You are like young men who have overcome the evil one. You're strong. Keep abiding in the word. Keep going. Keep growing. You have energy for this. Don't quit. So this is my word to you, River. Keep growing. Keep loving one another. We are loving one another, not perfectly, but more and more like Christ each day. You love by praying For others, you love by taking care of their kids, by texting one another, encouraging words, holding each other accountable, listening to each other. And all these things might seem mundane, but they are not mundane. All these activities are evidence that the light of Christ has dawned in your life and it will get brighter and brighter. I'd like for us now to just take a minute and sort of make this practical. We've talked about old and new, light and dark and and different things, but just to boil it down because what John wants is that we would practically and actually love each other. When Jesus washed his disciples' feet as a demonstration of his love, he was also meeting a practical need. This is not just theoretical ideas. Yes, I should love. So think for a minute Who has God given you to love? Maybe it's someone that is difficult to love. Maybe someone easy to overlook. I was telling the guys in my small group this week as we started talking about this was sometimes I just don't stop and think about people. 
You know, I just move on with my busy life. Um, and so people are easy, even easy to overlook, even the ones that are close to me. Maybe there's someone who is your enemy. They're against you. Maybe there's a classmate, a family member, a roommate, someone just in your small group. Who has God given you to love? Think about this person right now. And then maybe start to think, how can I show love to this person? One of the tools that we use as a church to help us know how to love, because it can be confusing and complicated and our, our motives sometimes are mixed bags, is we use the heart attitudes. Um, they're out on the wall out here. So let me just go through some of these and ask you to just think about these as a lens to think about how could I maybe love this person. Put the success of others ahead of your own. You can pray regularly for someone else's success. Praying is a way to sacrificially love. You're putting aside your own strength, your own skills, and you're going before God to say, would you do this in my friend's life? Would you meet this need? Serve them by listening. Everyone wants to be heard. Maintain clear relationships. Will you forgive? Will you seek forgiveness? This person has wronged me. You don't know how much they've hurt me. I can't forgive. I'm not saying forgive right now, this moment, but maybe do you want to forgive? Would you be willing to ask God, please help me to forgive? Give and receive spiritual correction. Speaking the truth to one another in love. Saying hard things and letting people say hard things to you. When I was first married, uh, Tiff and I had a friend over for dinner, and uh, Tiffany made a great meal. Tacos was like our go-to meal when we were first married, and I made some sarcastic comment about dinner. And my friend was so kind to say to me, Rodney, do you know that that maybe hurt Tiffany? I was clueless. But his words were really helpful and kind. He was speaking to a sin issue, and I am so grateful that he had the courage to do that. Will you risk and speak if God prompts you to? And lastly, live an open and honest life. How can I let other people love me? Do I let other people in, or do I hold them at arm's length? I'm afraid that if I let them really know me, they won't love me. If they know my secrets, will they still love me? Will you move towards people and attempt to get to know them and to seek to love them? Yes, there's confusion about love, but God has shown us through Jesus Christ what love is. He's also given us the resources to show love show love to one another. And as we do this, we are demonstrating to the world we belong to him. Our love is motivated by a desire to exalt Jesus as king. You're doing well, keep going. God, please would you help us, help us grow. Let's pray together. You take a minute and pray, and then I'm going to close our prayer time, and then the band will lead us in worship. I'm going to pray from Philippians 1, Paul's prayer for the church.
This is Paul's prayer and this is my prayer for, for us. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth and in insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen.